Good morning, Sterling. I hope that you're all doing really well. It's not uh, much more than I can ask for uh, after a worship session like that and after the, the awesome Breath of Life announcement. So thank you guys for pulling through. We really appreciate having you here. If you have been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been going through this letter to the Philippians and we are continuing today. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 to 30. And last week, what we saw is that Paul wants to send Timothy, it is his desire and his heart to send Timothy to this Philippian church, but he doesn't yet know if that's going to be the case. He says he wants to wait until he sees what's going to happen to himself. And so there's this hope to send him, but he can't go just yet. But there is going to be somebody that he does get to go and send to this church. And that is a guy who is this largely unsung hero. His name is Epaphroditus. He's not to be confused with Epaphras, who is mentioned in the book of Acts. Epaphras was the guy who planted the Colossian church. Epaphroditus is somebody completely different. He is mentioned only in these six verses that we are going through today, as well as briefly in Philippians chapter 4. But other than that, he is pretty much unknown. What you will notice from last week's message, as well as this week's message, is the incredible importance of gospel-centered relationships, that we as the body of Christ work together, we help each other. And often there's going to be times where actually we are called by God to sacrifice on our behalf so that the kingdom of God might move forward in multiple ways. And this is completely counter to the culture that you and I find ourselves in, where we might look at people who are willing to sacrifice relationships with other people, they're willing to sacrifice their own moral integrity, many other things, to make sure that they can climb up the, the corporate ladder and build their little glass kingdom, their temporary kingdom down here on earth. And God says, no, no, no. You listen to Paul this morning, you will actually see that there is an eternal kingdom that is advancing, that is taking ground. And instead of you making other people sacrifice and cutting them out, you make sacrifices in your own life so that you would further his kingdom. It is in essence us going and saying, the people that the world looks at and says they are the nobodies, God says to them, I know you intimately and I know exactly what you do. That's what we're going to find in the life of Epaphroditus. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 to 30. It says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. My very first point for this morning is who on earth is Epaphroditus? Because we don't know about this guy. You know, we've heard about many uh, strange people in the Bible but when you speak to people, I don't think I've ever heard, even as a pastor, somebody saying, wow, I really want to be like Epaphroditus. We don't know him. He is this unsung hero. And yet, when we look at his character, we see that this guy 
was actually a spiritual giant. He just wasn't very well known. He would have been somebody who was quite high up, a spiritual leader in the Philippian church. And when the Philippians get together and they say, we want to send a financial blessing to Paul, who's currently in prison, who will go, this is their representative. They say to Epaphroditus, we're going to send you. Epaphroditus goes. He drops off the money, but he doesn't just drop off the money and go, I'll pray for you, Paul. He stays. He ministers to Paul. He helps Paul. And while he is doing this and he's ministering to Paul and meeting his needs, he falls incredibly sick. And Paul doesn't play down how sick he is. He says, no, 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 this guy was close to death. On multiple occasions, he says he nearly died. He almost saw Jesus face to face. And then Paul goes, and being the incredible communicator that he is, he begins to answer questions that the Philippians may have as Epaphroditus returns to this church with this letter. Some people might have thought, Epaphroditus, why didn't you stay there longer? It might have been expected that he was to stay with Paul until he's executed or released. But he comes home early, and so Paul goes, you guys don't understand who it is that you sent me. I'm going to give you some titles that show what this person's character is like. And the reason why is because I want you to emulate and follow in his footsteps. So we're going to go through some of these titles that Paul gives him, which are phenomenal titles. Just bear in mind that Paul's son in the faith, Timothy, does not get these five titles. And yet Epaphroditus does. And so let's go through them. 1.1 1. 1 is my brother. Paul recognizes that Epaphroditus is his brother in Christ. It is a, a bond that is so strong it goes beyond just the, the physical relations of family that you might know down here on earth. And some of you might be thinking, oh, but isn't blood thicker than water? If you know the full quote, it is the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. It means that the people who are drawn into this, this faith-filled family are actually closer to each other than blood relatives because they are joined by the blood of Christ. It is a relationship that you get to enjoy with your Christian brothers and sisters that will stretch forward into all of eternity. Next, he says, 1.2, he is my fellow worker. Unlike some, Epaphroditus is not opposed to the work and ministry of Paul. He is like the, the body outside of prison that Paul gets to use. And so you might wonder, how was Paul writing these letters? Where did the, the, the scripts and the ink and the parchment come from? Most likely, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was running around on the outside helping Paul and meeting all of his needs so that he would be his fellow worker. 1.3, he calls him a fellow soldier. Now, for there to be a soldier, it implies that there is a war that is going on. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will know that there is a spiritual battle that is going on for your soul and for the people around you. And Satan will not sit back and allow the gospel to be promoted by anybody. You are all part of this battle the moment you said yes to putting your faith in Jesus. John Calvin puts it this way, he says, let those who edify the church know that war is pronounced against them. And so as we look at the life of Paul, somebody who took his faith seriously, we see all of a sudden the persecution just flows incessantly in his direction, doesn't it? He gets beaten on multiple occasions. 
And at one stage, he gets stoned to the point where they are convinced that he is dead. And the believers come, they pray over Paul, he miraculously rises, and he goes off to the next city to go and proclaim the gospel there. He gets shipwrecked on multiple occasions. These are not just a bunch of coincidences that it just happened to be Paul. They are spiritual forces coming against Paul and his ministry in the gospel. Satan will not have it pushed forward, but he will lose, and God will continue to thump Satan through his people, but Satan's not giving it up easily. And what I need to put forward to us this morning, church, is we live in a culture that is very much self-centered. We make everything about ourselves, and the moment it doesn't serve us, we like to just move off and go and do our own thing. And so if we are going to be soldiers of Christ, I want to ask you, how do you view the church? And I think the two main ways that you might find you view the church is either as a bar or as a barracks. And if you view the church as a bar, what it means is you're going to come and just get what you want until you leave happy, but by and large, not really changed, not really transformed. But if you view the church as a barracks, what it means is you're going to come in like a new recruit. You are going to learn from God's word. It is going to train you. It is going to equip you to live in righteousness. And then you will be sent out as soldiers of Christ to go and fight on the front lines. 1.4, Paphroditus is called a messenger. See what happens in this letter is he is this messenger to Paul. He brings the financial blessing, but as he comes to Paul, he also brings great encouragement. He says, Paul, do you understand how this church is growing? It is advancing. It is taking ground. More and more people are becoming Christians in the city of Philippi. And <clears throat> And then Paul goes and he writes back in his letter, and what does he say? You should see the guys I was chained to in the Roman guard unit. Many of them have become Christians, and pretty much all of them have heard about Christ. And so as Epaphroditus is used as a messenger to Paul, it's also used as a messenger back to the Philippians. 1.5, he is a minister to my need. At every point that Paul had need, it was met. Epaphroditus would go out of his way. As I mentioned earlier, he was, like this, he was like Paul's body outside of prison that could move freely, get what he needed. And even when he starts falling really sick, he continues. He does not withdraw and quickly run back to uh, Philippi. He stays and he ministers to Paul. But why is it important? Why does it matter that this guy is given these incredible titles? And the reason is given to us in the start of verse 25. He says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. The reason why it is necessary is because Paul wants the Philippian church to have an example in the flesh of somebody who is properly applying God's word to their life. Somebody who is a brother in the faith, a fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger of Christ, and ministering to the needs around them. And he doesn't even pull himself into this equation, saying, like he did to the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Christ, because he visited them three times, more than the Philippians. Instead, he says, Philippians, you have got this guy, Paphroditus, as he comes back into your church, learn from him, glean from him. See how he interacts with the word of God and how the word of God changes the way that he lives. What this means for us is 
You may have a, a favorite preacher or pastor on TV or on YouTube. You may have a great theologian that you enjoy reading. I have many. But Paul is calling us to look closer to home, to people's lives that you actually get an inside look at. And where you see that they are applying God's word to their life in a way that you need to still maybe grow in, you glean from them, you learn from them. To make this really practical in my life, I've been discipled by Joey Prince for probably the last eight years. He's a great friend of mine, love the guy to bits, but the reality is that he has gone to go and pastor at East Coast. And though I'm still having coffee with him tomorrow, which I will enjoy greatly, I don't get to see him as much as I might want to see him. I don't get to have an inside look at his life. And so I also need to draw my gaze closer to home and see, man, who is there here around me at SBC that I can learn from? And for me, one of those people would be Matt. When there are these tough theological uh, verses and questions and I want to see flesh on, on that, I want to go and see how Matt applies it in his life. That happened earlier this week as we were at the advanced conference. Matt didn't know that he was being overheard. He didn't know I was around. And um, he, he walked to a certain place, being very careful not to let details slip. And while he was walking there, he was just praying, not stopping, constantly laying prayers and petitions before the Lord. And uh, I heard this and I thought, wow, what a blessing that we have a lead elder that is putting 1 Thessalonians 5.17 into practice. Pray without ceasing throughout the day, just laying your petitions before the Lord and then continuing joyfully throughout your day. Another person that I look to is Mark. When it comes to somebody, where, when I need tenacity and endurance and strength through trials where there is no guarantee that they are going to end at any specific time, and I, I need to be reminded of the fact that I need to draw near to God and rely on the grace that He has for me every single day and live in that day with the grace that God supplies for me in that day. I look to Mark. Mark has gone through some tremendous storms over the last year, year and a half. And I look to somebody close and I go, I get to see this person's life. I get to see how the word of God affects the way that they actually live. And so I would encourage you to go, who is this person close to me? Who is this person who has properly understood something slightly better than I have? This doesn't mean that you idolize the person and put them up on a pedestal, but what it does mean is that you are humble and wise enough to admit that there are some people in your midst that have outgrown you in certain areas and you can learn from them and apply to your life. My second point for this morning, point number two, is the selfless nature of the new creation. Verse 26 and 27 say, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. What you're going to notice from these two verses and from our text today is that there is a genuine love that is flowing in a multitude of different directions. And for you and I today, we might look at this and go, but isn't that normal? Like, isn't this the church? Shouldn't they be loving each other? And... But what you don't realize is that culture back then and in this context is radically different from what you and I experience today. When, when we saw these beautiful children jumping off the stage this morning, we had our hearts opened wide towards them. 
as Mark prayed, it moved many of us, including me, to tears because we love those children. But do you understand that the culture that Paul is living in and writing this in is radically different? Because the the culture of the day would have been controlled by the Stoics in this Greco-Roman context where they were brutal, they were hard. There are many stories from the Romans where if they found a deserted child, they would take the child and they would leave them on the rubbish dump. And they would say, cheers, we are not going to deal with that. If you want to love, it means that you're going to need to be vulnerable to love. If you are vulnerable, it means that you are actually weak. And if you've got a weakness in this culture, it's not going to be long before you are taken advantage of. And so wherever there would be even a child with a slight defect, even if it was your own child, it would be taken to the rubbish dump, deserted, left for dead. Now, for all of us in the room, we look at that and we say, that's disgusting, that's awful. But that is what it was like in this culture. You see, you and I have been so changed and transformed by the teaching of Christ because it permeates through culture. There's a beautiful book by Glenn Scrivener called The Air We Breathe. And as he starts off this book, he says that there are these two younger goldfish and then an older goldfish. Older goldfish swims over to the younger two goldfish and he goes, Good morning, boys. How's the water? And then he swims off. And the two younger goldfish look at each other and they go, What's water? And they don't realize that the very thing that they are living in that they can't quite see has got every effect on whether they live or die and how they think and how they actually live and move in that water. And you and I are the same. The teaching of Christ. Remember when he's asked, Lord Jesus, what is the kingdom of God like? And he says, well, the kingdom of God is like leaven that is put into some dough until it slowly but surely spreads and grows and multiplies throughout all of it. He goes and he says, well, another way that I can explain the kingdom of God is it's like a small little mustard seed. It starts off small, but eventually it grows into this massive tree. The teaching of Christ, the love for the the weak and the small and the orphaned and the abandoned has grown massively because the teaching of Christ has been mixed into our culture so that we might see this and value this. It has changed everything. It makes us more, more selfless. It makes us want to extend our hearts towards the broken and the needy. If you look at the the Stoics, their line of thought was the complete opposite. If you look at uh, Socrates, he said the strong minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, and weak minds, they discuss people. And he's not meaning gossip and people speaking about each other. Your role and your value in society would determine your worth. Ha, finished. And so you don't speak about people because whatever their job is, that determines their worth and their value. Everybody pretty much is just a little pawn on the chessboard being willing to be moved forward at the, the, the insight of the person who's the governor over all of them. Marcus Aurelius said, I do what is mine to do. The rest does not disturb me. It's a line of thought that says you stay in your lane, you do what you want to do. And if you come across somebody that is less fortunate, they probably deserve it and they need to just learn a lesson. And yet, when we look at the gospel, when we look at how Paul writes, what does he say? Guys, honor Epaphroditus. This person, this person, this person sends their greetings. Hey, remember Priscilla and Aquila? He calls them out by name because people are important. He loves them. They are made in the image of God. He does not 
fall in line with the thought of his day. And the beauty of this selfless nature is that it is started, first of all, in the one who is the most selfless of all, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is immortality who takes on human flesh and comes to dwell with us. He comes into this creation. He lives the perfect life. He does not make himself uh, be born in a palace in the best possible place. He takes on the form of a servant, and he comes to serve us. He washes his disciples' feet, and he makes sure that he has a selfless nature. And so when we look at our text this morning, and we see Epaphroditus having a selfless nature, it is because he has first looked to Christ, and he's learned to glean from him, He's learned to walk in his footsteps, and he's following after him. We see that he serves Paul in prison, even when death is imminent. He does not care about the Stoics or the culture around him. And he's got a pastoral heart. Do you notice how Epaphroditus almost died? He came very close. And yet, who is he most concerned about? Not himself, his church. What happens to us when we go through hardship is we usually try to milk it for all it's worth. We have coffees, tell everybody about it, consider writing that book, you know, whatever it might be. And yet in this situation, the one who actually brings up that Epaphroditus almost died is not even him, it's Paul. Paul writes this letter. Paul doesn't minimize the suffering that he went through. He says it was bad. This is the same Paul who has on other occasions prayed for the sick and they've been healed. He has even seen somebody raised from the dead, and Paul most certainly would have prayed for Epaphroditus, and nothing happens. He's not instantly healed. And so Paul eventually says, well, we just take him and we put him before the Lord, and we say, Lord, would you please have mercy on him? And miraculously, he's spared, but he was near to death. But what concerns does Epaphroditus have? What does the selfless nature look like in the new creation of Christ? After a near-death experience, instead of what we might do, where we might pull things towards ourselves and make sure that we minimize risks and don't take any unnecessary risks, add the precautions, he is more concerned about his church. If we could give some words to Epaphroditus, it might sound something like this. Oh man, I love the people in my church. I hope they aren't too anxious about me. And my heart longs to just go and settle their hearts and show them that I am really all right. And I just wish that they would go on glorifying Christ and dwelling on him and not on me. Do you see how it's not about him? Do you see how, about how his life is not centered around who he is, but he just wants them to get Christ, to listen to Christ, to dwell on Christ. And so this love that goes completely against their culture around them is not only found in Epaphroditus, it's also found in Paul. Paul loves the Philippian church and he's worried that they won't have their past and so he sends Epaphroditus back. Paul loves the Philippian church and ultimately planted it. The Philippian church loves Epaphroditus so when they hear that he's fallen ill, what happens? They're anxious. They care about him. When they hear that Paul is in prison, they send Epaphroditus because they love him. They care for him. It is completely counter to the world that they lived in. My third and final point for this morning, point number three, is the selfless messenger returns with all joy and honor. 
verse 28 to 30 say, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul mentions here that he doesn't want to be the reason that this church goes on without their pastor presence. We've discussed earlier as well that Paul wants them to have a great example in Epaphroditus, but Paul being a selfless new creation in Christ also says, actually, guys, I would be more joyful and more happy if you would have Epaphroditus with you, not because he's done a bad job, but because it will settle my heart knowing that you've got this guy with you. And so his happiness isn't found in drawing Epaphroditus and keeping him there in Rome. His happiness is going to be found in sending him back to his, his home church with highest honors and with great joy. And what you notice in our text is that the way that you earn honor in the eyes of the world, the way that you earn honor in the eyes of God are completely different. Remember, this guy is largely unknown. Almost nobody would have heard other than through this letter what he had gone through. And yet he is highly honored by Paul and others. And the reason why Paul is able to look at Epaphroditus and say, this guy is special, this guy is important, you should really look closely at this person's life, is because when Paul looks at the life of Epaphroditus, he sees Christ. He sees the way that Christ became a servant how he served his disciples and poured himself out for the kingdom of God to move forward. And so Paul says, this guy gets it. He knows what it is like to be a servant. And what's wonderful to see is we, we might fall into the trap of going, you know, we see that in Jesus' life. We see that he's a servant. We see that he goes out of his way. He helps those. He goes to the broken and the weak. Highly honored and exalted, raised to the highest possible point. But brass, shouldn't that happen naturally because he is the son of God and I would argue he's earned every bit of his position but if that is your your line of thoughts wouldn't you look at the the life of Epaphroditus Epaphroditus is not the son of God he has not achieved sinless perfection he's far from perfect and yet God chooses to highly honor Epaphroditus he's a servant he, we're not even told that he has any spectacular gift. We're not told that he's like Apollos who would preach and it was like thunder would come rolling in. He was a servant. He humbled himself. He was obedient to what God called him to do. And so Paul gives him high honor and praise in this letter. But what you have to also take note of is that the Holy Spirit writes scripture. And the Holy Spirit of God chooses to immortalize this man's name in scripture for all of eternity because he humbled himself and he served. And so really the question is not, uh, do you have your theology degrees ready so that you can serve the Lord? Do you have this spectacular gift that you might use to bless and edify the church? The question is simple. Will you humble yourself and will you serve and be obedient to what God is calling you to do? Andrew Wilson, as he goes through the book of Judges notes that it is incredible how God uses ordinary people and ordinary implements and tools that seem to just be lying around at the time 
but they are empowered by an extraordinary supernatural God to bring about great strides in his kingdom. At one point, there's a guy called Ehud who uses a short sword to go and kill an opposing king, and the nation is saved. He goes, and uh, there's another guy called Shamgar, who must have been a farmer, out in the fields. And as the Philistines attack, Shamgar takes his ox goad, and he goes and he kills 600 Philistines, just like that. Jael is in her tent waiting to hear news about the war when the opposing general comes to her tent, and she takes a mallet and a tent peg and sends it through his temple, dead. War is ended. Gideon uses trumpets and jars and torches and brings about great salvation as he destroys the Midianites. Do you notice that God uses ordinary people with ordinary implements and tools that are around him to make great strides in his kingdom? And so he can certainly use us. As I wrap up this morning, I'm going to ask that you guys close your eyes and just consider some questions. I think if we are wanting to take this teaching seriously, it is going to come from us really being challenged by questions and looking at the life of Epaphroditus. And so the first question I want you to ask yourself this morning is, are you willing to die to yourself and your passions and your dreams and to rise to life in Christ? Know for sure that God will not use you one bit if you do not know Jesus. And until you take up your cross and you follow Jesus, there is not going to be progress in your walk with God. Charles Spurgeon says, if God has called you to be his servant, why stoop to be a king? Why settle for anything in this world? The next question to consider is, are you willing to humble yourself and serve Christ even if the world and the people around you know absolutely nothing about him? Are you willing to get that recognition from Jesus alone? It's not easy. The last question for you to consider is, will you live for the audience of one? And that one person not being ourselves, not even a spouse, but that one person being the Lord Jesus Christ. Where you hear his voice, you just want to obey and apply to your life. You need to know this morning that what is going to allow you to be equipped and to do the things that God is calling you to do is not going to be you trying really hard. It is going to be the eyes of your heart being set on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus is selfless and a servant because he sees that in Jesus. He can go through tremendous difficulty because he sees that in Jesus. He's willing to lay down his life because he sees that in Jesus. So my question to you this morning is, if you're a new creation in Christ, will you humble yourself and will you serve? Will you be like Epaphroditus and like Isaiah Say, here I am, Lord, send me. Maybe not to Lesotho, maybe just to a team to serve. Maybe it's to love the people around you. But we'll be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, that takes strides in this kingdom. Let us pray.
Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you challenge us through it. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to just read and glance over the life of Epaphroditus without seeing that there is so much to apply to our lives that is challenging. Lord, our selfless natures are so quick to justify our actions, to dodge any sort of responsibility and to do things that actually push us further away from you. We distract ourselves in this world. But Lord, I pray that this morning you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we are not our own, that we were bought with a price, and that price was the blood of Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would help us, enable us and empower us to put up our hands and say, Lord, here am I, send me. Let me do the work of a servant. Let me humble myself. I look at the life of Epaphroditus and see he doesn't have any special talent or gift, and you might not have one that you are aware of yet. But the Lord calls you to be used by him. We pray, Lord, that you would empower and equip us. We ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. I see it has just gone half past, so children's ministry should be done. Hope that you really enjoy some good fellowship and coffee under the tent. And if there is anybody who would like prayer, you are so welcome to come and chat to myself and Mark. We would love